0: On behalf of Hospice of the Piedmont, welcome back to the E-Series, an educational podcast aimed at engaging our community, exploring relevant topics, and educating about ways to connect with our organization. My name is Ryan Biagini, and I am your host. Today, we conclude our discussion, conversation, and Care, working together between CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, Trent Cockrum, and hospice nurse Lynette White. When we last left them, Lynette was addressing the interdisciplinary work of hospice and the benefits of working on a team delivering care. Let's rejoin the conversation.
1: Talk a little bit about if you could, you know, you you've worked in a you've worked in a long-term care facility, you've had a lot of nursing experience in your in your career. Um, you know, working in a home is really different, right? You're also working with people who are not they're not oftentimes most of the time, I suspect they are not professionally trained caregivers like you. Talk a little bit about what that's like.
2: Working in the home. Um, it, you actually have the opera the experience is more personal. Hmm. Uh, families, will often share more because they're in their own personal environment. And so, you know, once you're in there and you've built this rapport and this trust and they depend on you to be there for for their needs, um, they open up, they share more, uh, which in turn helps us as the team care for that patient, care for that family, care for that caregiver. Um, so it, it's a little bit different than being in a healthcare setting, setting like long term care. When I was there, that was more uh, task focused, I guess, because you had a shift and you had tasks that you had to complete. You didn't have the time to really sit down and have those personal, intimate conversations, about, you know, about end of life or anything. Uh, and in the home, I'm able to, you know, kind of, <clears throat> kind of break down the, that wall a little bit so that families are a little more comfortable talking about the end of life. And, and I'll expand here, too, to say that most of the time, like we all are, most of us, unless we work in hospice, uh, death is something that no one wants to talk about. Um, so, you know, I kind of compare it to walking in a room, and you know, the patients near the end of life, and here's this big elephant sitting here, and <clears throat> and nobody wants to acknowledge that elephant. So that's when the teaching comes in. That's when compassion comes in. Uh, You're breaking down that wall, that barrier, I'm sorry, to to allow the family to explore what's going to happen next, you know, to prepare them for what's going to happen next.
1: I think we can all acknowledge um, that talking about death is something that is difficult for most anybody. And when we're suddenly faced with it, um, you know, it, it does become sort of as you as you describe it, an elephant in the room, um, and and it is something that we have to uh, to to talk about. Um, you know, do oftentimes you find that people may find themselves in a you know they're hoping for something different, and you have to then you and your team have to sort of bridge that disconnect, right? Mm-hmm.
2: So, you know, a lot, of, a lot of times families are often in denial. They're hoping for that, the patient to get better. Um, so that's when, you know, we continually teach and, and I tell my patients and I tell my caregivers, you know, it's okay to have that hope that things might turn around and get better, but let's, let's keep it realistic here. Uh, you know, if this process continues the way that we think it will, then, then I want you to prepare, be prepared for what might happen next. Let's, and it takes a lot of listening, um, to people, um, to get them, like I have one patient now, um. You know, things are changing here. And and the caregiver, she's every time I go, she says, I still have hope. And I say, that's okay. It's okay to have hope. We can all pray for things to to turn around. But in reality, this is what's going on. And a lot of times I will... um, Instead of me kind of carrying on, you know, telling them what I see, I'll start the conversation by, say, by saying, um, tell me what you're seeing. What kind of changes are you seeing in your you know, in your loved one this week? And most of the time they're seeing the same things I am. They're just not wanting to admit it. Um, so that's where, you know, just being there, and giving them that support that they need during that time. And that's when I draw the other team members in here too. you know. I often will call a chaplain and say, "You know, we might need a little extra support here. Things are not going very well. And the family is still kind of in denial. Um, even the social worker, I bring them in there to help with that as well. So,
1: you you know, you, you mentioned something that, that, um, is sort of interesting to talk about is this concept of better, right? Oftentimes we think of better as, as cured, um, but I suspect better, um, in the context of working with someone who has a, a a long-term chronic illness, or perhaps Uh, a a sudden onset of a very serious illness, Um, better is a relative term, right? And and that, I suspect that concept of better also informs or changes those needs, wants, and priorities, right? Mm -hmm. Is that fair? Mm
2: -hmm. That is fair,
1: yes. Yeah. So, you know, people have a hard time, Lynette, sort of thinking about Hospice care and oftentimes think about. I think you've sort of alluded to some of this. They think about hospice care as the difference between curative care and doing nothing, when in reality, it's about how you organize your life to have a more fulfilling life experience for whatever time that might be. Has that been your experience in working with the patients that you care for? Yeah, I've had a lot of families
2: when I first go in especially tell me that or you know the patient may be developing symptoms of you know an upper respiratory infection they might be having a fever well there's nothing y'all can do for that we're on hospice now um and you know I kind of explain to them that, you know, treating those symptoms is actually a comfort, because if they're having trouble breathing, that's why we're here, that's part of why we're here, when they have those symptoms. We're helping to alleviate those so that they can have a better quality of life, Uh, and oftentimes when we do treat those little symptoms, or even just treating the symptoms that they have when, when they come on, whether it's difficulty breathing or it's the pain whatever the symptom may be Um, when we get those managed a lot of times their their length of stay increases um, and and we're able to serve them much longer
1: so i'm curious you know um about that so length of stay for those folks who may not know what that means. It's just the the duration of time that people are uh, in our care. Um, You know, Lynette, I suspect in the time that you've worked within our organization, you've cared for many patients who had varying lengths of stay um, from incredibly short, maybe hours to days to maybe even months, if not years long. Um, And do you find that their experience is different, not less fulfilling, but different. Um, and how might you characterize that?
2: So I have had several that, um, you know, I may have a day, I've seen them on one, one visit. Um, I still give them the same care that I do when I have one that I have longer. Uh, I just, you, you don't have the time to make that personal connection and maybe pick up on some of those things that are important to the family that they would have liked seeing happen before the end of life. So when you have someone that's, you know, for a longer amount of time, whether it's, you know, six months or a year or whatever, Families open up more, they share more, and so you're able to build and develop a plan of care based on things that continually change during that time. Uh, yes, plan of cares change when the patient's symptoms change, but we're also looking you know we're also caring for the family so That's what I'm talking about there. We're able to pick up on more of that. Um, But the care is actually the same. I give every patient that I ever um, am privileged to take care of, I treat them as I would want to be treated. Um, So
1: the care is the same. Yeah, so you talked a little bit about symptoms here and there throughout our conversation. And, you know, it's not difficult for people to understand physical symptoms like pain or shortness of breath or nausea, right? But there are other symptoms too that patients experience. Can you talk a little bit about that and and how you sort of engage the team um, for those kinds of
2: things? Okay. Um, The one that pops up right now is, you know, emotional you know that's a symptom i have a patient right now um that i've had for a little while and you know he's starting to progress and and he sees it and he's starting to get a little anxious about the, the end of life here and so when i go in you know he's talking to me and he always asks me what can i expect next so at that point, I was able to call the chaplain and say, you know, a little bit of anxiety here about the process that he's going through. And, you know, I talked with him, I gave him as much, I gave him as much compassion as I could at that moment to relieve his anxiety um, but he also needed that extra support from the spiritual aspect of that. That's another emotion that a lot of people have difficulty with is the, the spiritual aspect because a lot of people are spiritual. And, you know, I remember another little patient that I had and every time I went, he, he always told me I'm ready to go. And I was on call that night, actually, and got called out to the home and he was in having some respiratory distress and we had changed medication several times that night. And I went over to be with him and give him some more medication. And he looked at me and he told me he said, I'm scared. And so I had the conversation with him. What are you scared of? He said, I'm not so sure anymore. So at that point, you know, middle of the night. I could have called a chaplain but you know, I'm there at that moment. I didn't know how long this patient was gonna make it. So I was able to sit down on the side of the bed with that patient and hold his hand and help him pray. Uh, And that relieved his anxiety and scared feeling that he was having at that moment.
1: So, well, I mean, these are powerful stories, Lynette. I mean, you know, as you think about working in a team, which is which is a little something that's a little bit unique, I think, to hospice care. Mm-hmm. Um, when you think about working in a team, um, what is it that you think sets the our team apart as really sort of this dynamic, you know, sort of uh, caregiving? Um, component of someone's life? I mean, what what is it that, what is it that makes it so dynamic?
2: Oh, wow. Um, I think what makes it it dynamic is the fact that we're following that patient, we're helping them, we're helping them on that, the plan that they set forth when they chose hospice, um, and when you're able to work together with your with your colleagues in different professional you know professional backgrounds, uh, you're able to meet every every aspect of that of, of that patient, the whole well being of the patient.
1: Yeah. So is it fair to say that the diversity of the group of people, the team that are taking care of the patient? is, sounds like that's actually what makes it truly dynamic, right? That's really what makes it function. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a fair statement? It is. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's interesting. Uh, I want to go back to something we talked about early on in this conversation when you identified that the, the, the patient needed a volunteer, or really the patient didn't need a volunteer, the, the caregiver needed a volunteer for respite. Um, and you've, you've hit on this a couple times, um, that you're listening for things that people are saying, mm-hmm. right? But it sounds like you're also picking up on the things they're not saying.
2: A lot of times you do. Yes. Yeah, so what
1: might some of those be? I mean, we talked about the volunteer, but, but what, what are some of the other things that you can think of readily?
2: Well, just for an example, I had a patient that had COPD, and, you know, I had been seeing this patient for for a while, and I would always see her in the morning. She liked the morning routine. She was always dressed, ready for the day when I got there, so I got to noticing that um, she was still in her pajamas when I would come in, so you know, I got to exploring that a little bit just in casual conversation. I mean, and so I found out that she wasn't getting ready before I got there because it was taking her so long to actually do her bathing and and getting dressed because her breathing was that bad and she was having to take so many rest breaks. And so then I was able to talk with her and 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 add an aid to that to help her out so that she could do more of the things that she wanted to do rather than spend it all on getting ready for the day
1: wow and just by sheer observation i mean that led you down a path of conversation with her you found this out because clearly she was perhaps maybe not going to share that with no she would not yeah that's so i mean that's interesting and when you say when you say aid you're talking about a certified nursing assistant Um, yeah like a patient care technician you
2: know they perform the personal care
1: for you know they help them sure 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 sure. um you know is it fair to say that patients and families don't always know what they want (laughs) when they when when they first when you're first meeting them are they uh, do they not always know exactly um, what, what they're looking for or or and certainly they don't perhaps know um, what it is they need to know right and so you're assessing that too I suspect.
2: Yes I do. Um, you know there's a lot of times you're you know just being able to sit and talk with a patient because when I make my visit, this might explain it a little bit better. So when I make my visit, my visits usually last 45 minutes to an hour. Okay. And after I do my physical assessment, uh, full body assessment of the patient, then I'm, you know, putting in vital signs in my computer. And during that time, a lot of families will open up and and they'll talk more. And a lot of times they'll even say, "Oh, I forgot to tell you about this. This happened the other day." So you actually have a lot of time there to learn a lot more. And so during that during that time that I'm there, you know, the patient may be talking to me too. And a lot of times when the caregiver goes out of the room, they open up and they share a little bit more with me as well. And for instance. Um, I had a patient that, you know, he was on this path to the end of life. And it was important to him to teach his wife how to run the lawnmower. Something as simple as that. But that was one of his goals. And he didn't even know it. So once we got his pain managed enough where he could get outside and be able to teach her how to run the lawnmower. So, you know, goals don't have to be big. They can be just something simple that that's important to you. Um, So,
1: That's an incredibly powerful statement, Lynette. Um, You know, we've got a few more minutes and I want to ask you, you know, that's a, that's a, that's a hard set of commentary to follow. I'll tell you Um, what, are the one or two things that you really want people to know about our organization and what you do as a nurse?
2: I guess, well, I know that I would want them to know that hospice does not mean that you're giving up on life a lot of times, life is happening. Then, a lot of memories are made. Then, um, and and just because you choose hospice, it doesn't mean you're giving up. It means that you're choosing how how that how you want that end of life path to go, and and so when you do that then you're just opening up the doors for this team that's here to help you on that path you're guiding us into what's important to you to help you through that and then i would want you to know that you don't have to be alone in this process not like i was um you know with the care and support of a hospice team behind you um, it can help promote a better quality of life and when you have a better quality of life you're able to make those lasting memories that your family will remember. You
1: know it reminds me of something that I say a lot um, about not only just what we do, but I think it's a, a, a true statement about life. When we feel better, we live better. Um, and that's part of, it sounds like you've confirmed certainly for me and probably a lot of folks who are listening to this today or listening to this later or watching it later that that's what we do. We help you feel better in order to live better and for whatever period of time that might actually be. Lynette, I see that Ryan Biagini has joined us back again, which means we are really out of time. I will tell you, um, on behalf of the 232 team members of Hospice of the Piedmont and our affiliate organization, Hospice of Randolph, it has been my privilege to have this conversation with you, and it's such a powerful and very impactful conversation that it truly was, um, and I really do appreciate this opportunity you have spent about 45 minutes learning more about who you are and what you do and having you tell about your experiences to folks who are interested in being connected with our organization.
0: Thank you for joining us for part two of our discussion, Conversations in Care, Working Together. Join us next time for Conversations in Care, Setting the Goal, as CEO of Hospice of the Piedmont, Trent Cochran, and Senior Medical Director, Dr. Genevieve Robleski discuss how understanding a patient's wants, needs, and priorities is essential in hospice care. We hope you'll join us. Until then, I'm Ryan Biagini, and this has been the E-Series.